I thought you were saying Jack the Bubby. So. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just, oh my gosh, it's so late. So Deuteronomy 31. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. His birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. So, I, you know, you kind of, we've talked about how you kind of get this feeling in the last several chapters of like this, here's what you all did and I'm so done with you. And, you know, and it, yeah, he's 120 and he's, he's had to be dealing with this stuff and he's just like, because that means he was 80 when this 40 years started. You know, it's, it's not like he was some young spring chicken, you know, that, that had all the patience in the world. You know, he was 80. He was done. He's like, seriously. Good. I was 80, and I thought That's I was going what? into the promised he was such land. such a cranky old man. Yes. Yes. He's like, I, I thought I was going into the promised land at 80, and here I am, 120, wandering around the desert with you people, and now I don't even get to go in. Yes, and I can totally see an 80-year-old man being like, Lord, just take me now. I know. Let me be done with them. <laughs> All those yeah. times. I've lived a life. Yeah. I've had I, I'm ready to go. I, if you don't want me doing this anymore, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm much more than a 40-year-old That's right. Because right. usually when you see the Moses story stuff, he's like 30. He's like 30. And yeah. yeah. No, he, he was much, he's much older. Much older. Context. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. Kind of like uh, you know David being older. Yes. You oh, know. Indeed. Well, He's da David when he was doing you know the David and Goliath thing, he he was like in his early twenties and he wasn't <laughs> like seven like and out kid. there against Goliath. You know. Was, yeah, they did have. They make like him look like he was a little. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. Yes. But and and so we yeah we talked about like how all that fit together and. So anyway, the Lord will do to them, verse 4, as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And that is the verse that in Joshua, Joshua 1.9, that is... Um, what Joshua reminds them on the day that he's saying, choose this day whom you'll serve. You know, he says, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. And so that wasn't like some new idea he had. That was the promise that had been handed down to them. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, so that's at Sukkot, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. 
And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Oh, that's a fun prediction. I know. <laughs> all of this, you know, you guys Not are going over, be good. Yeah, and then, I've done all that, and they, you telling me they got to just go yeah. buck wild after that. That's right. And the Lord's <laughs> like, just, just know. Here's what's coming. Did you have to tell Most me that before I died? But that's why Joshua <laughs> said to them on that day when he's saying, okay, here's the deal. Choose this day whom you serve. And they're like, yeah. we choose God. And he told them, you know, you don't have to choose God. And if you're just saying that, you're obligating yourselves. And don't say that if you don't mean it because a lot of you are going to go and whore yourselves out. This is why he was saying that, because God told him, you know, that's right. This is what they're going to do. Moses, yes, this is what's going to happen. And so Joshua was watching all the people go, we love God. He's going, <sighs> not going to call you liars, because I don't know which of you is necessarily, I mean, I have my suspicions. But <laughs> I, was like, I, I have a conclusion, like that one guy that. last week, I'm just saying. Go lay down, please. Where? Before he falls out of the chair. Anywhere, a row. I don't There's, know. I just help him. Hey, the phone's going off. Yeah. Um, like, there's music. <laughs> yes, Lord. Uh, <laughs> so, it says, This people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And, and his anger kindled means he, turn, you know, means he turns away. But really, you know, we've talked about this before. It's not that he's turning away. It's it's literally a, that his back is to them, but that's because they're they're not in front of him. <laughs> if you run around behind God, he's not gonna, you know, if he, if his if he is shining a light, you know, if you if you think that you know from him shines the light that illuminates the path you're supposed to walk going forward. Um, and you run behind him, he's not going to turn and shine that light in a different direction. He's going to stay steadfast, mm -hmm. and you'll be at his back. And there's no light there. The light's going the other direction. So it's not that God's going to be like, you know, I refuse to look at you. It's more <laughs> like, it, you know, you, you ran out. You, you are the one who left. And, you know, the prodigal son, you're the one who went and, and spent your inheritance and did all these things. You know, the father's not going to stop you, and he's not going to chase you. Start to return home so that you step even a little bit into that light. He's going to grab you and, and hold tight, but, you know, you get, you get to decide where you walk. So um, he says, and many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown, uh, grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils, and, and it's that's so, that's so, so messed up, you know. When they get all the wonderful things that I promised them, that they know I said I would give, and they will know came from me, 
then they won't need me any, they'll think they don't need me anymore and they'll run off and worship the other gods. They got what they could from me. They're going to go, you know, but how many, how many of, I want to say of us, I, I don't, you know, it is, it's not that, it's not that I, I do that. It's just, I will admit it can be easier to focus on God in the times when you have to rely on him than it is when everything's good and you know you're not so driven to your knees by everything it's mm-hmm. it's not that i want to live in in times of of struggle but i acknowledge that it takes more intentionality to rely on the lord when everything is all in place and taken care of and and that that theme is very regular through scripture you know it, it is the it is the people who are poor in some way whether it be of uh, you know poor of heart or, or poor of, of family or poor of finances, you know, the people who are, are have some area of need in their life, in that area they, they are crying out to God. And the people who do not have that area of need are like, good, it's all fine, it's all good, and more likely to be, you know, distracted by all the rest of the things around them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's he's not saying this like, a curse on them, and he's not saying it like it, it's. He's just stating it. It's it's just factual. This is what's going to happen. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? <laughs> um, so, so this is, you know, when people say, well, when was the law written? This seems to indicate that it's what it was like Moses' final act was that he went and he wrote down all the history. You know, people were probably keeping records along the way and the, the oral stories were being, I mean, he's told this story how many times that, it, you know, he's told it here and then he recounts the events and he's, he's like the, um, you know, the tribal storyteller, the guy, you know, the guy who knows the history of all the people and they sit around the campfire and they sing the songs and tell the stories of their tribe or whatever. And, you know, so now he's about to die and, and so he records it. You know, taught it to them, but he also records it. Um, So he's like, you know, you're rebellious while I'm among you. How much more after I die? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. 
The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride in the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. Curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of the wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grapes. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. So the rock, cap, you know, and it's capitalized because it's the name, and who's the rock of the salvation? It's Yeshua. It's the rock that he struck that was supposed to be that picture to them that they don't understand, and he knows that. And he, you know, because God let him know why, he, you know, he knows why he can't go in. That he told him, you messed up the picture. So, so they scoffed at the rock of his salvation. I mean, that, that salvation message was, was given, and, and it, got, it got messed up. And one of the things that really stands out to me is that Moses, for distorting that message, does not get to go into the promised land. Still gets to go to the Lord, but doesn't get to go to the promised land. And that, to me, that puts an incredible weight of responsibility on sharing the gospel and on the importance and the, and the, the burden of doing that. And not in, that, and, and not in a way that, that says, you know, you have to know exactly how to do it correctly because, you know, because it relies on you. Because I think that God is bigger than that. And I think that all of our understanding, I thank God that nobody's salvation depends on our complete understanding. Because, you know, we wouldn't, if it were relied on me, I'd be like, I don't know if I'm saved. You know, it's because there are so many things we can't know. But keep in mind, what was it that distorted what was it that caused Moses to distort that picture? This is pride and his anger. So if we have a pride and an anger that's part of sharing that gospel, which a lot of, I mean, I see that a lot. You know, well, we have all the right information, so I'm going to tell you. So, and what is, you know, what we're seeing in our society now is a lot of people going, oh, really? You've got the only answer. Oh, okay you know and 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 at what point are people rejecting the message and at what point is the message being distorted and people are just rejecting the bringer of the message and 
I think that, that taking, you know, what Moses was supposed to go out and do was speak to the rock, not strike it. And how much of the church at large is delivering the gospel message by striking the rock versus speaking to it and loving it and, and modeling it and, and showing through, you know, because the message that, that Moses gave was one of anger and punishment. And we're supposed to give a message of, of grace. It was the message of salvation. Mm. And, 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 you know, in the rabbinic notes, they say, Moses was trying to show us something. <laughs> but we don't know what it was because the message got distorted. I mean, they, 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 they were told. They know that. They know enough to know that. To know, we, we don't really know what it was. But this was important. <laughs> and important. and they, they say maybe we wouldn't have struggled the way we did had we had that message more clearly. You know? <laughs> so so if they were if they were in a a more punitive understanding of God, if they were in a more law focus, it was not because God gave them the law. It was not the law that created that. It was the scoffing of at the rock of his salvation that distorted what that all meant. And so, so you know, this, this song is just so, I mean, it, it, he's really addressing what happened. It says, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see that their end, or I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation, which is what Paul is explaining is going on in the early church when non-Jews were being brought in. And, and he takes that ancient illustration of the olive tree and he explains, he, you know, the, the, the Christians coming in who were, because, you know, clearly because of what Paul's saying to them, thinking that they were better than the Jews who God had rejected because, you know, he rejected, they rejected him, so he rejected them and he chose us instead. And he's saying, Yes, to provoke them to jealousy. Don't think that he's rejected them in the sense that they're out of there completely. They're still laying on the ground. The goal is to graft them back in. And don't you think that if you forget God or you forget to live the way that he's saying and you start thinking you're better than them, that you won't be cut off. Because, you know, it's, it's not like you get in unconditionally in the sense that he's just completely rejected them, but he's accepted you in a, in a different way and you won't be rejected too. Right. You know, which is kind of what certain aspects of the gospel seem to be presented as today. You know, yeah. God rejected the Jews, but he won't reject you. <laughs> well, God... God won't reject you, but he didn't reject the Jews in that way either. <laughs> he, 
he rejected them temporarily, and, or, or going back to like what, we, what I was saying before. He didn't chase them into their sin. But he's not going to chase you into your sin either. So maybe a little more humility. <laughs> you know? Maybe remember that God promised all the way back with Moses that he was going to bring in these people from outside to provoke them to envy. And he's doing it now, and yay, because you get to come in. But there's a bigger picture going on here. It's not all about you. <laughs> it's not all about them. It's all about God. And so <laughs> he's trying to accomplish the whole purpose. So verse 22, for a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burnt. Well, and I want to say, I love that the consequence of God's burning wrath is more people get to be saved. <laughs> if you really think about it, the angrier God gets, the more people get to be included. Good. So I, I'm good with that. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay with God's so anger. let's all make God angry. Yeah. <laughs> but then we got this God's plan. <laughs> I don't think that's Shall we go on sinning that God will be... <laughs> Because I'm sure that's what some people came back with. And Paul's like, no, no, that wasn't what I was trying to say. <laughs> You're missing the point. But, but if we, you know, if we understand, if we fear God's wrath with an awesome respect, we will want to make sure that no matter who else is brought in, we're still there. You know, because in, in the, all, so many of the parables, the master sends the guy out. It's like the, the, par, the wedding feast. He goes, okay, go, go tell the guests that it's time. And he goes to the guests, and they're all like, oh, we're not really ready yet. And, you know, my, my wife's in labor, and my, you know, my cow's got to be milked. And so he goes back, and the master says, okay, well, go invite the other villagers. So he goes and invites other people, and they're all like, oh, I don't know. I'm a little busy right now. And so he's like, so, so you know, go get the strangers on the, on the road. Yeah. Like, the angrier he gets, the more people get invited. And as, you know, this picture that God's getting angrier as we move toward Revelation is not supposed to take us to a place where we think God's just killing a bunch of people. It's where he's just, let them all in, you know? <laughs> and anybody who wants to come, come on in. The people who have me don't appreciate me. Here I am. Just a very different picture of the God who's very exclusive, and you know, only my special people are going to find out about me. You know, well, no. If it's going to happen one way or the other, either His people are going to understand how to speak to the rock and give that picture of salvation, or they're not. If they if they do, that will bring more people in. If they don't, God will get angry and do it Himself. That's the choice. In other words, you are either a part of God reconciling the world to himself or you're not. That's our choice. And, and you know, he's not hindered by us. <laughs> and, and he's not only advanced by us. It's just whether we'll be a part of it or not. So for a file, verse 22, 
Uh, oh, for, uh, yeah, for a file, fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth, and it increases and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains, which sounds very Revelation-y. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spin, spin my arrows on them, and they shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Very Revelation-y here. Very. Outdoors the sword shall be wreathed. And indoors terror for young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said I will cut them to pieces, I will wipe them from human memory, had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant and it is not the Lord who did all this. For they are a nation void of counsel and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this, they would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? So he's saying, I'm not going to abandon you completely because I don't want the peoples of, because his goal is to bring in the peoples of the earth, not fuel their arrogance and pride to think that they be God. So for their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand, for I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing, flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. So he swears on himself. I, you know, his word is his word. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Um, babe? Please, I'm begging you, go lay down. It's really distracting. I think you're going to fall out of your chair. <laughs> and he's centered and balanced. You're flopping around. <laughs> you're going to hurt, like sprain your neck or something. Um, okay. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life, and by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess." That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. 
and die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. So he doesn't get to go in, but he gets to see it. He, he gets to see where they're going and, and, and then he's going to die there. Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. Though someone did point out to me a while back that when, um, you know, Yeshua is, that when the transformation happens, when it's Sukkot, and he goes up on the mountain and he meets with the two, um, the two people, one of them is Moses. Mm-hmm. So he was in the land. He, he didn't get to lead them in, in, you know, while he was alive, but he is in the land. He, he gets to be there. Mountains transferred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, you know, you remember that story where, where it, he go, they go up and everybody's asleep and, and Yeshua goes up and he meets with Moses and Elijah, I think mm-hmm. it is. And, yeah. and, you know, and then Peter's like, let me build, let me build tents for you. And, and, which is weird, except that it was the Feast of Sukkot. So he was like, really saying, let me build sukkahs for you, because they were holy guests. They were ushbazin, and he, he was going to build them. And, Don't they and leave us for them? No, that's the other thing. Because, yeah, and, and, and each night of Sukkot, it's interesting, because each night of Sukkot, you, are, you actually study, and I want to add this this year when we do it, but you're supposed to study one of the fathers, and Moses and Elijah are there. And, and the, the idea is that by learning about them, you are inviting them into your sukkah and, and inviting, you know, you're, you're embracing their wisdom and you are inviting them to be the holy guest that night to, in, your, in your teaching and your study. And, and uh, it's kind of like at Passover when you open the door for Elijah, you know, because Elijah's coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord, you know. And so... Um, I'm not bred that, but we're... Yes, yes, it is, and I think I think John goes into that one more because he's a lot more of the deeper level stuff, and that was a bit more. I think the other ones record it, but he he I think he goes into it a little bit more. But we can look in a bit when we're done. Um, So First Samuel eighteen. Now, last week, what you guys missed basically is. you know, God was t- told Saul he was done with him. He went and had Samuel appoint uh, uh, David. And David was young. But we were, we were talking about the fact that according to what the story and the timeline of how the story goes, David was, was probably like, you know, 17 or so. He's about, it was, it's very Joseph, you know, where all the older brothers come and he's the youngest one, so he's left out. Uh, of this, and he can't—he can't possibly be the one God wants for king. You know, he's—he's he's the youngest, and and then Samuel's like, no, no, there's where's you got another one? I know you got another one because it's none of these. And God said the child would come from you, from you. So they call David in. He's like, this is the one. This is the one. And so, um, you know, then then we move it forward in the story, and Saul is being tormented by the spirit that comes and vexes him when the Holy Spirit is removed. And, and they, they say, you know, call, call that young David. And, you know, he comes and plays the, the leer for him. And, but not and, just the young David, the man of war. Right, yeah. The fierce warrior. Yes, the they tell him. Man, the there is whatever. a man. He's this, you know, he's, he's, here's all his character qualities. And all of his character qualities reveal he's at least 21. Because you can't be a man who's valiant in war 
until you're 21. You're not allowed to go. So he's not, you know, the seven-year-old David playing the harp over in the corner that, that Saul takes no notice of. He's a man who's there. But, he, but it says he's going back and forth between the, the you know, Saul and, and his, his home, helping take care of his father and going back and forth. And then they all go out to battle the Philistines with, with Goliath. And David, you know, David was at... Um, his home and he goes to take his brother some things and he hears the taunting and he's like what the heck what you know why is nobody stepping up why are you allowing this guy to yell at yeah he's like why are you allowing this guy to yell and taunt you you're god's people he's taunting god and none of you is doing anything and they're like well we're really scared of him and you know and and he's got that that same that same vision that Jonathan had where Jonathan was like if God's going to defeat him he can do it with an army or he could do it with one of us so I'm going to go over there and if God wants to defeat him he can just use me if nobody else is going to go let's go let's go take him down and and God did it you know and so he's got that same that that same soul that that same devotion to God that says you know they're they're not insulting me they're insulting God right how could I, I can't sit by and listen to that and not step up and go dude that's my God you're talking about. And, and so Saul is told, that, and, and the, 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 the reward for that is the daughter of the king. And so when, when he hears that, he's like, what's the reward again? Yeah, he's like, what's the reward? The king's daughter? Now, he, he's been in, he knows who the king's daughter is. <laughs> I'm all over that. Let's go, you know. <laughs> King's daughter and riches uh, and treasures. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Some, She's a cherry. Some guy told me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he might even be going, some guy said I'm supposed to be king, so maybe this is how maybe it's supposed this is, to happen. Maybe I'm going to marry the princess, you know? Let's Little, go. I'm good with that. And cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so he's like, I was going to just do it because he was insulting God, but this this works too, you know? And so, oh, so he goes, and so then Saul is told about this, and he's like, you know, who is it? Well, it turns out it's David, and, um, you know, so he, see, which is funny because we talked about how he puts his armor on him, and it, it doesn't say it doesn't fit. It, it says it, he's not used to fighting with it. It's not comfortable on him. He can't move the way he needs to move based on how he knows to fight. So it's not like some little toddler, you know, wearing daddy's <laughs> armor, and, because I've always thought, how ridiculous that the king put his his helmet on this child yeah how dumb is that what what was he thinking well no it was another man it just wasn't it didn't fit right because the armor was actually made to fit your body it was custom designed to protect you and really mostly the king had armor nobody else did so it was really made to fit the king and and it didn't fit him so, so he went out, killed Goliath real simply, and, um, you know, and then, then he was serving. He, and, and so Saul took him in, and, and he, he began, you know, he was given the opportunity to live in the castle, which is, is really interesting because he's being mentored to do the very job that he's already been appointed to do. So, but, but his heart towards it, as we go forward, you'll see his heart is always, because the people keep trying to get him to rise up and take his place, and he keeps saying, I'm not doing it before God's time. Right. So with Jonathan and David, with both of them, you see that they both have a heart. I mean, when, when Saul made that ridiculous promise, 
in the battle, you know, that if anybody ate anything, they were going to die. And Jonathan found out of it. He's like, okay, I, I guess I have to die because you made that vow to God. I'm here. Let's go. And the people are like, no, we're not letting that happen. But Jonathan's heart is just completely, hey, if God said it, that's what it is. If God wants to do it, he'll do it. I mean, he's got this gift of faith that's amazing. And so does David. And we've seen that now in, in both of them. So 1 Samuel 18, he says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, which would be the robe of, of the son of the king, and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, a sword, I don't know. Um, I think you had to make your own arrows. But <coughs> there's a lot of, um, there, there are different groups that um, have worked really hard to put this forth as evidence that David and Jonathan were gay and were married. And I, Wow, why yeah. do they go there? You can't be a well, good friend of somebody. Why do they go there? One of... Well, I, under, I, understand, I understand the need driving it, and I understand why they are able to get that from this. But I think that one of the challenges in our society is that, as a culture, we don't understand the concept of love that is not sexualized. And, and you know, I, I don't know what they did. I mean, I, we don't know what they did other, I, I don't know. You know, could you be right? I don't know. You know, it's, it, what I go back to, though, is that we've been, it's kind of like saying that Rahab's a prostitute, okay? Either the story is the righteous men sent out to spy out the land, got into town and went straight to the whore's house. And then she was able to see that God was, you know, who he said he was and wanted to join up with them. Which is, you know, or... Which is weird because why would they go straight to the whore's right, house? Right, right. If they're righteous, why are they going straight to the whore's house? And, and was, if she's righteous, yeah. and it was why so is she a whore? Not and, land, not to stop it. Right, right. So, so, or she was, you know, she was somebody in town who opened her house up for guests, and mm -hmm. they heard about her in the square, and they went and they, they rented a room. Okay? So, so, okay... This, you know, either this is a story of, of, of them being in this relationship or we go back to the law that they both knew of the God that they both knew and were devoted to. And we find that, that you know, sexualizing a relationship like that is not allowed and is punishable by death. And we've already seen that Jonathan, you know, his father makes a stupid vow and he's like, okay, put me to death then. So, so are we supposed to think, are we supposed to assume that they were in a relationship that was violating the law of the very God they were both devoted to. And I, I just, I can't reconcile that. Yeah, me so, okay, if they were in love with that intensity, I don't believe they acted on it. Yeah. Because that would have violated, you know. Or they were just two young men who were soul brothers, who just saw something in each other that they said, you know, this is... You know, yeah, you share the heart for God that I have, and and let's let let's let's you know partner together in this this 
running the land and you know I mean this is this is the guy who's been appointed king and the guy who's technically you know was supposed to be king and and they both they see that in each other and they see a, a shared vision and a shared purpose and they're they're bonded together in that depth of of friendship and and it was instant it was oh my gosh you're my brother and that that's the picture that I see it's right it's the, our, our society our culture doesn't allow for that right yeah. for men right women are, are getting to be much more allowed to be yes. that way yeah. but men are not men are which is which is sad if to a me man like hugs a man longer than five seconds, right like you're gay right and 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 or it's even just be having a close a relationship even I mean they can have basically friends, right and yeah. well and so young people who love someone with that intensity are labeled as gay and told this is what that means and this is what your life is supposed to look like. Why can't we just acknowledge you have a deep love for that person? That's wonderful. And as we're learning about living out righteousness, that will fall into place in a way that in the greater picture of things allows you to continue to live righteously. You know, you may never feel that way towards a woman, but that doesn't mean that what you feel towards him has to identify and label you and define you and cause you as though you're compelled by your impulses to behave in a way yeah. that you're, we choose our behavior. We don't choose our love. We don't choose our, our feelings. We don't choose, but we choose our behavior. And, and so I, I'm not going, you know, I don't want to label the love. But I think taking it beyond this and arguing that it was a, a relationship that directly contradicts what God says is righteous living, when these two have been shown in the past several chapters to be devotedly righteous, I think adulterates the story and, and, and uses it for a purpose that is predetermined and not for what does the story show us? Well, you know, it, it, it's going to it and going, you know, I want to I show that this is in the Bible and therefore here's a great example of it as opposed to saying, you know, what does this story say? What, what, is, what is going on here? So verse 5, David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So here's the guy, you know, that, that knows he's supposed to be king and that Samuel knows he's supposed to be king. Saul doesn't know he's supposed to be king. <laughs> and Saul's very actions are setting David up to be received as king. Well, Saul should have known somebody was going to be king because, you know, God told him in no uncertain terms, right? Well, and yeah. Him go. Yeah, and he probably, <laughs> so. he probably, because, and he's, he starts, he, he does listen. think he eventually starts to see that. But keep in mind, he's still being tormented. I mean, he's, it's not like he's right in the head in the first place yeah. at this point. So verse 6, as they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh -oh. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? Mm. And Saul eyed David from that day on. So yes, he did. <laughs> but if you want to win the battle, you send the person who's going to be able to win. 
The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Mm-hmm. It's another, I'm sorry, I'm having a flashback to those children's Bibles. And the little boy playing the harp in the corner and the spear being Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like the 10-year-old is just dodging like things yeah. while playing the harp. Yeah, he never grows up. I know, yeah. It, yeah, it is. There's never, a lot of Bible characters who stay children in children's stories. Yeah. You're like, what is going on? It's like, did it like not age at all? Just, <laughs> can we well, Molly was seven at Goliath. I, I've been asked point. to. Oh, I, I think we yeah. should. Perfect I, sense. I had several people wrong. ask me to remake, what? like, to do a children's Bible that has accurate. Are we going to pick stories? We could. We, we, like, we should. Like, with three wise men no, about Jesus, how he was actually, like, a little kid yeah, and not yeah, a baby. Little, yeah, yeah, we were talking about that last night. the toddler as opposed to the little... Yeah, well, we're, yeah, we were talking about that last that night. And well, and they're not in the manger still. And and drawing <laughs> drawing the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to not look like an apple, right? Uh-huh. I know. Maybe to be more. We could like, like make up a fruit. Well, well, to or be figgy. more like to be yeah, more last like. Last night a, it was a fig. <laughs> well, it should be more like a like a like light Awkward. or you know just something that is that is not. Identifiable. Something we can identify yeah. and put like a watermelon grapes. on the tree. Don't you know that? that that's yeah, it's, it's wine. wine. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's what that is. So, <laughs> so, so uh, he says. So, so Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. So, so what he, you know, he's there. He's back in his role playing the lyre, but Saul's so angry at him and wants to destroy him so he you know says get out of my sight and he sent part of making him a commander is to send him away get out of my castle get out of my sight I don't want to see you um and he went out and notice it specifically says of a thousand not ten thousand and he went out and came in before the people and David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him and when Saul saw that he had great success he stood in fearful awe of him but all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. In other words, the king wasn't out there in battle with them. David was. David was the one in the thick of it. David was the one risking his life alongside them. David was, you know, the William Wallace stirring them all up to go in and, and do battle. He was the one that they were looking to to guide them and inspire them. And he began to get their their, their love and their respect. We should bring that back as policy. The kings and presidents have to go out to the war with them. That's, that's why a lot of people because don't... Because their children are excused from going into the military. Well, and that's why a lot really? of people don't, don't want a president who hasn't served in battle because you are the commander-in-chief and you are make decisions about people's and lives in battle. And if you mean, don't understand that... Well, sometimes they're in the military, but not right. battle. Well, exactly, so and that's why... But I think I th- they, the, the goal and the desire of, of a lot of people is he should know, or she should know, what she's doing to the lives of these people before they have the power and authority to do it. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I, I, I cringe when certain choices are made for our military that directly impact real lives by, by people who are making political choices and not... not really understanding and, and they might still make the same choice but I I would trust it more if, if there was like you're, you're a better child 
counselor if you've had children Thank versus you. never had children. Yes. You're a better marriage counselor if yeah. you've been married with yeah. <laughs> never been married. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, if you're if you're looking for a marriage counselor, do you seek out the divorced one? <laughs> or do you seek out the one who maybe has... Has, has gone through and survived a few things, you know, and might have some, some clues for things you could do and try and, and, you know, and at least be able to empathize how hard it is to go through certain seasons, you know. Yeah, it, it's exactly. So there, Saul is staying home, and Saul is not out there with them. And Saul is the king, but he's not, they, they don't love him. They're not, he's not serving us alongside them. So then, verse 17, then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So he's saying, I'm going to look like I'm doing, you know, like I'm taking care of him. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to send him out in battle against the Philistines, and they'll kill him. And then I don't have to. And I fulfilled my promise of a wife. That's right. I fulfilled my promise. And David said to Saul, who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merob, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, for a wife. So he just was like, you can have her, but then he gave her to somebody else. Well, he says, you can have her if you'll go out and fight the Philistines. Right. Kind of of a Laban moment here where he's saying, you know, Go out and finish this war against the Philistines, and when you get back, you know, here's my daughter for you. But she's but be, already with somebody else. By the time he got back. Well, he's gone because he thought he was going to die out there. So he didn't think he had to, he didn't think he was going to have to make good on that promise. No wonder she was aggravated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now Saul's daughter, uh, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Gosh, my own phone is ridiculous. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? So, so David's sitting here going, What? Why is the king offering me this? I don't know that I trust him. This, this, doesn't, this, doesn't, this isn't logical. You know, there's, there's something else going on here. I, I, I see... Why would he do this? And the servants of Saul told him, thus, and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Oh, wow. That he may be (laughs) avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So, So David's saying, you know, I can't pay a bride price of a king's daughter. Why would he even be offering this? No, no, all he wants is a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Which means you've got to go into battle deep and enough. Somebody's that's right. Yep. A hundred of them. And, and, I mean, that's a pretty big number, and the Philistines are pretty mean. And in order to be cutting them off, it's going on during the battle. And, you you know, you're out there in the thick of it if that's what your goal is. So he'll die then. Surely he'll die then. 
And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. Wow. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Like, oh, yep. All them different... Yep. And one He's wearing a big armor sack or... of penises. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I got him. <laughs> oh what you God. asked for. Why would you want that, though? I don't understand. <laughs> why like, would you want 100? And he brought you even more than you asked I for. But why would you want things. that? That yeah. would be, like, so uncomfortable. That's what it was. Oh, oh I don't know what you said, but I don't want to know. But <laughs> it was it was that, but what Marie was playing out, it's not necessarily the whole thing. He was essentially the circumcising them. Or he was circumcising them. He was killing them he and circumcising them. When you're not circumcised, it's right, of right. So, so, but it, it is a symbolic <laughs> act of of we have imposed this on you. Our God is bigger than your God. Yeah, our God is bigger than your God. Is right. the very clear message this gives to the people who have to come clean up the bodies? Yeah, because they would you look know? at all two hundred. Yep, circumcised. Now. That's right. Wow. So, but yeah. Yeah, this story doesn't make it into the children's Bible. <laughs> no, let's not. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> not that it would be in ours, but I'm just saying, you know, this isn't one of the pretty fun stories. No. Um, and when, uh, so he brought that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. Oh, wow. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Did David only have one wife? Um, no. At the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> beginning. So, he collected a few. Yeah, he, he, he picked some up along the way. Because <laughs> remember Bathsheba. Oh, yeah, 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 David. yeah. Boy, that was a love yeah. affair. Love yeah. affair. Mm-hmm. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. So remember, you know, this is his soul brother. This is his, I've devoted myself to him. We, we have the same heart for God. Yeah. You've just conspired with me to kill him. So he well, must not okay. know that his son regards David right. as such. Right, right. And so uh, Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. So Jonathan went in and spoke wisdom and peace to his father and said, "Um, this isn't going to look good. You think you're already on the outs with God? <laughs> you're going to kill the guy that God's hand is clearly upon? The people love him, and you want the people to follow you? Bad move. 
bad, bad plan. You don't want to do this. And Saul's like, you're right. You're right. I don't want to do that. You know, this, this, is, this is not right to do, what to do. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre, and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. He would go again. He's so experienced. Just right. Damn. After all that. And and it's you it's see. Right well, now. yeah. Well, it is. And 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 so. It, is this a literal statement that we know for a fact that a harmful spirit was sent by God to do these things, or is this the record of God's spirit being removed from him, and him? descending into madness and having periods of sanity and periods of insanity. insanity. And might that be evidence of God having removed? I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't because of God removing his spirit. I'm not saying that God didn't do it in that sense. But, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there was actually a harmful spirit tormenting him. But we see we see a picture throughout, throughout even going into to with Yeshua where mental illness is often described as a spiritual condition. Mm -hmm. And the, I, I think that there is a spiritual element to all physical issues, yes. but there is also a physical element to all spiritual issues. And so <laughs> it's, you know, it's, 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 we have to be careful because a lot of times people take these things and they take those stories and they go, that means you don't need a doctor. We can just cast that demon out of the person with bipolar. And could God heal them that way? God can do whatever he wants, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you you that that we have the discernment to say something, you know, this is a spiritual issue and this is not a physical issue because obviously there's physical elements and was it a physical element that caused spiritual turmoil? Was it a spiritual turmoil that caused a physical element? I I don't I don't think we I don't think we can make an overarching statement about any of that and that's why I think people with the gift of healing and people with the gift of discernment who you know are able to sense you know this is a physical like you know there are times when I've prayed for people with cancer and God's made it very clear that this this is not going to go away until this spiritual issue is dealt with and then there are other people who who have cancer and it causes spiritual wrestling, and you know, it, it, but it, but it didn't. There's no, there's no, there's no, re, there's no reason for it. You know, that the cancer doesn't. Ha it just is. It's, it is what it is. And you know, like our the the owner of the dance studio who who died of cancer. As soon as she found out she had cancer, her response was, "I might have a limited time to tell people about God." I'm going to tell everybody I meet. You, know, you can't tell me, you know, well, obviously, they're not right with God, and this is a punishment. You know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, it, it's so we, ha we have to be, we have to acknowledge the cultural view of what was going on and not transpose that into a modern doctrine, you know, and, and, and be, be very wary of that. But, yes, the Spirit of God was away from Saul, and clearly he's descending into madness. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you know, so Saul, David flees, and Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. Yeah. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Mm. 
So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Michael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. <laughs> then Saul sent the messengers to see David again. Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the So he's saying, you know, fine, if he's sick, carry the whole bed up. I'm killing the dude. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat hair, goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Now, how, now David fled and escaped. And he came to, to Samuel and Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And so he, David flees to Samuel. He's like, Samuel. You know, here's what's going on. And it was, uh, and he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth, and it was told Saul, behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Wow. In other words, God's spirit came upon them with the evidence of them speaking God's word. And they stayed there and became disciples of Samuel and not returning to Saul, who was God's enemy. Um, then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Nioth and Ramah. And he went there to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. Oh, wow. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and na lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Wow. <laughs> So just coming into the presence of Samuel, the Spirit of God was so powerful that it would come upon, come upon the person and, and, and have, have that impact on them, even Saul. Even Saul, wow. So there you go. Um, next, you know, next, week we'll, next week we will actually be finishing Deuteronomy. And, and moving you know, forward with our David story. And then we'll just kind of get all involved in David. And so that means in two weeks, if anybody would like to. to um, well, what we can start doing is, uh, based on where we are in, in the year, if we want to wait until Simchat Torah and then do the one-year reading cycle for somebody like doing a little, little drosh teaching each week, um, then maybe between now and then, if we want to talk about uh, like how that's done or what goes into that or anybody who'd like to we can we can do that maybe separate from from when we're actually doing the services but I would like to have I'd like to have anybody start doing that who's who's of age to to be able to do that I'm too young at school how old are you 10 yeah let's no, see. Like, she's like wait how young do I have to be I think 10 <laughs> Whatever. Like, let me think yeah. about this. Oh, I'm not lying. No. That's on the recording too. Right? You're lying. On the recording. <laughs> she got you on. Okay. Maybe we don't want her teaching. Sure. I don't know. Right?
and then David went to the prom. Even though he's 21. It's cool. So, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.